Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. My name is Neil Aitchison. Positron emission imaging is an established process in medicine, but engineers are now using the technique for analysing complex chemical and pharmaceutical processes. Professor Jonathan Seville has worked on systems for imaging and recently joined the University of Warwick as the Dean of the School of Engineering. Tom Abbott spoke to Professor Seville about his work on positron emission imaging and his view of the multidisciplinary future for engineering. Jonathan, your um, area of research expertise is in positron emission imaging. Can you explain to me what that process is and what the applications are? Uh, Yes, positron imaging is a medical technique. Uh, Positron emission tomography is used uh, routinely in hospitals to image um, processes within the body. And it involves um, uh, the patient taking a positron-emitting isotope Uh, which is then imaged from various uh, different angles and these uh, uh, images are then put back together in order to give you a three-dimensional result. It's a rather slow technique as applied in uh, the medical situation. In engineering what we do is we take a um, a very small source of radioactivity, a single particle for example from a process and make that into a positron emitter and we can then follow that extremely fast. This is a development that uh, um, I've been involved in Uh, expanding over the years in order to look at, for example, pharmaceutical processes, petrochemical processes, a wide range of processes within uh, the uh, engineering uh, sector. Um, And one of the beauties of it is that we can use it to image what's going on inside metal walled vessels, so inside real processes with uh, perhaps thick steel walls perhaps operating at high pressure. Uh, We've been up to uh, 20 bars, for example, in some of the work that we've done with BP. So the work that I've been talking about has taken place uh, in uh, or with the support of the uh, Positron Imaging Centre at the University of Birmingham, which is directed by um, David Parker, uh, who's a physicist who's really been responsible for uh, making all of these sorts of things happen from the the physics point of view. it's exciting that coming to Warwick, I think we can broaden the range of things that we're doing. Um, and I'm looking forward to working uh, increasingly between Warwick and Birmingham uh, on positron imaging applications, but on a lot of other things too. Um, it's particularly exciting to come to Warwick at a time when um, the Regional Development Authority, AWM, are funding an increasing amount of research infrastructure which is going to be used in common between the researchers at Birmingham and at Warwick. Um, So my aim is of course to develop as many connections between the two universities as I can, uh, helped by that funding and and also by funding that's recently been awarded by uh, HEFSI um, to support a number of uh, research fellow type positions that will um, work between the two universities. Uh, it's an exciting experiment in how to get two research intensive universities to work closely together. 
You've talked there about uh, using positrons for imaging purposes. Why, why positrons? What is it particularly about those particles that makes them useful in this way? Well, the beauty of using positrons, positive electrons, is that when they annihilate with electrons, and the world's full of electrons, um, the annihilation produces back-to-back -back gamma rays. It produces two gamma rays. Each annihilation produces two gamma rays, which travel along the same line in opposite directions. And as I say, they're very penetrating, so if you pick them up with your detectors outside the equipment, you can then um, very quickly find by triangulation the position of the tracer particle. Um, so that it has certain advantages over other radiation tracking methods, some others are used, but we think this is the, the best in terms of accuracy and speed. When you're conducting um, an experiment using uh, positron emission imaging, what is it you're actually doing? What's the process that you're going through to capture those images? Well, uh, the development of um, engineering equipment is often um, a, a rather non-linear process. And uh, the early development of the sort of techniques that we use now um, depended absolutely on the availability of um, redundant medical equipment. Um, and that is still to some uh, degree the, uh, the case. Um, I'm very grateful in this to my uh, colleague who's the director of the Positron Imaging Centre uh, in Birmingham, who, uh, David, David Parker, who um, is on very good terms with the uh, hospitals and was able to get hold of quite a lot of medic redundant medical equipment which he was able to reassemble in order to do this sort of imaging work that we're talking about. Uh, the, the big development there really is that we can go out onto site uh, and do imaging uh, there uh, on the process rather than do everything in the laboratory. Uh, and that, that's a very big development indeed and I think that we're likely to be able to do quite a lot of that uh, in the future. I'm reading in a paper written about one of your previous projects, it describes having to ferry positron particles 200 kilometres to a, another site and uh, and then um, having a sort of small time window within actually, actually to use them is what you're hoping to achieve to kind of improve that process and make it a much more uh, efficient way of doing this? Well, the isotope that we use has a half-life of about two hours, and for various reasons that's um, actually quite a good isotope to use. Uh, but it does mean that you're limited to a certain range from base, uh, and my colleagues were kept extremely busy uh, ferrying uh, the uh, sources backwards and forwards. What are industrial partners looking for from this process? Well, in many cases, particularly in the pharmaceutical industry, very little is actually known about what happens inside the process, uh, which is a bit worrying because, of course, the pharmaceutical industry relies absolutely on being able to get uniformity of mixing, uh, for example, getting uh, an active ingredient, a drug, uniformly distributed uh, amongst uh, a batch of tablets or capsules or whatever they are. So uh, ultimately a lot of what we have done is uh, aimed at improving the uniformity of the uh, product. Um, in other applications we've looked at novel product development for example um, where it's extremely useful to know what the material flows are within a process. In fact it's really essential. So what we've done is really to give people for the first time in many cases, an image of what's going on inside their process vessel. And this is the adaption, the, the new application of a technology that's been used for quite a while in, in medical imaging, isn't it? 
That's right. And, and I think the wider point is how useful it is for engineers to keep an eye on all of the different uh, sensor technologies and imaging technologies that are being used. In this case, um, we've borrowed really a technique from um, medicine which was, of course, originally developed by engineers. So we've, we've, we've grabbed it back and we've modified it to do things in the uh, engineering sector. Uh, I think there's probably quite a number of other techniques that could be used in this way. It's interesting to see the development, for instance, of um, NMR uh, uh, in engineering applications, which, of course, has been pioneered in Warwick. Mm. The, the opportunities then... Um uh, that positron emission imaging allows us to see into a lot of these quite difficult processes. We've talked about pharmaceuticals and, and uh, some of the work you've been doing with petrochemicals. Um, what are the next processes that we need to look into? The really exciting thing um, with a lot of engineering is how it actually impacts on the uh, environment, and I mean that as widely as possible, including the, the, the human environment. Um, for example, what happens to foods, what happens to pharmaceuticals uh, within the human body? Um, and what would be extremely exciting is to use some of these imaging techniques to look at the way that the body deals with uh, these sorts of um, materials when they enter it. The, the, the Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council has got a big new um, thrust in the direction of healthcare engineering. Um, I think that these sorts of imaging techniques have got a lot to offer to that area. Do we have a good understanding of the, the kind of human interfaces from an engineering perspective when we think about our, you know, when we think about pharmaceuticals and, and medical applications? Is this an area that needs further investigation? Absolutely. No, we don't have a very good understanding, I think, of what I would call engineering processes within the human body. It would be great to have an engineering model, for example, of the digestive system, um, or an, an engineering model of uh, the, uh, the skeletal system, for example. Uh, a, a lot of these things are under development, and I feel um, very optimistic that in the next decade we'll see the development of quite a lot of these things from an engineering point of view. And, and when we've done that, then we'll be in a much better position to design um, engineering systems for um, increasing uh, health and well-being. But the value in that? developing those models is then understanding that within a holistic view of that interface, bringing in elements of chemistry and biology and physics. Yes, of course, all of those things are necessary. Yeah. To what extent does this become uh, a virtual environment or, or as opposed to a physical environment? We've spoken about imaging processes in a, in a kind of physical sense and you literally rig up a, a series of gamma ray cameras uh, to physically capture um, what's going on in a process. But to what extent is that how this is going to happen or are we looking much more at digital virtual uh, simulations of, uh, of these processes? Well, there's a great synergy here between good imaging methods and modelling methods because the people who develop modelling methods, and I've, I've had a hand in doing some of those things too, uh, need validation of their models and so good reliable imaging methods are, are necessary to do that. 
uh, one of the most exciting areas from my point of view in uh, modeling processes is what they call the discrete element method where you take for instance, for instance a particulate system and you um, assign each one of the particles within the system and there may be many millions uh, physical properties perhaps chemical properties also and, and you see what, what behavior emerges emergent behavior they call it from that uh, combination of, of elements um, if you have a method for modelling along those lines, then you can apply it to quite a lot of things. It's interesting that uh, just recently people have tried to apply these methods to human behaviour, looking, for instance, at the behaviour of crowds uh, exiting a football stadium or something of that kind. Um, with some things, like simple particles, you can uh, develop mathematical expressions to tell you what the forces are between them. Uh, with people, um, that's much more difficult. But I, I think that the whole area of how you generate the behaviour of the bulk from understanding the properties of the single elements is a very exciting one. Uh, and one where I think the, the, the images uh, and the model developers can work together very profitably. For this is very, I mean, the research that you've done is very much on that kind of multidisciplinary boundary between chemistry, physics, medicine, and engineering. Is that a direction that you see that engineers need to take very seriously, looking at the, the, the cross subject uh, relevance of the work that they do? Absolutely. Um, engineering relies, I think, on, on applying the latest developments in science. And so it's, I think it's essential for us to keep up to date with scientific developments um, in chemistry and in physics, in, increasingly in biology, so that we are in a good position to apply those um, ideas in order to, to develop new products. And what are the disciplines that you think engineering can bring to that scientific multidisciplinary mix? Um, I think all of the engineering disciplines have got a contribution to make to that and I've personally worked across the engineering boundaries as well as across the boundary between engineering and science um, and I would say those boundaries are no longer uh, by any means rigid and I think it's up to us to try and uh, break those down and link as strongly as possible with, um, with, with other people working in science. I suppose a lot of people would have an image of engineering as being about big machines, uh, big kind of capital engineering projects. That's not really, that, you know, that's just a small part of the world of engineering, isn't it? Absolutely. In the pharmaceutical industry, um, a batch of uh, pharmaceutical ingredient may be uh, a few kilograms, it may be a year's production, and it may be worth several million dollars. So the idea that all engineering has to be large scale is not at all the case. Uh, you could make similar points about the electronics industry. You're taking over as Dean of the Engineering Department of Engineering at, at Warwick. Um, in your new position, what do you think the big challenges are then for engineers uh, facing the next 10, 20 years? Uh, I think that engineering is now much more diverse than it's ever been. And uh, I think that means that the engineer has got to have a very firm scientific base across a, 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 an increasingly wide range, including significantly biology. I think it's obvious that there are a lot of very exciting developments in uh, what you might call biological engineering, which require uh, some uh, knowledge of the science in that area. Um, I think that engineers have also got to become much more um, uh, adaptable to um, a very wide range of industrial um, 
use of engineering. Um, it's no longer a, a discipline which is um, confined to a few major employers. We can think of... It's a discipline which is increasingly useful in um, a very wide range of um, small and medium-sized enterprises. Um, but it means that uh, because their uh, demands are so extremely varied, uh, engineers are really going to have to be much more versatile than they've ever been. So what would your advice be to the current crop of uh, postgraduate, undergraduate and postgraduate students in engineering who are looking at uh, their academic career going forward? I think be as imaginative as you can. Um, well, the lesson I've learned from my own career is to be constantly curious. Um, I would never have got into um, positron imaging, for example, or any of the other imaging methods that I've uh, been involved in. I would never have got into the modelling methods that we've used if I hadn't been sufficiently curious to go and knock on doors in other departments uh, and to, of course, to, to steal with pride other people's um, good techniques, um, good areas uh, of, of, of work. Um, so stay curious, I think, is, is, is my message. Does engineering demand a curious mind or is it a creative mind? Uh, both, both, I think, in, 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 uh, in equal measure. Um, as I say, I think it's very important to be sufficiently curious to seek out good ideas wherever they are and to apply them.